We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. And we're going to be in Acts 2, as you're flipping there. A few years ago, a friend and I were in a car driving across country. We would go and speak at schools and talk about character and leadership development with the students. We would do professional development with the staff, and we would do parent night workshops in the evenings. And we drove everywhere. So from Phoenix all the way to New York, down to Virginia, Louisiana, cutting back up to Chicago, like it didn't make sense the way we routed out our our map, but uh, we went everywhere and we drove the whole way. And so we would have these 16 hour drive days. And sometimes they'd be really fun. We would be freestyling in the car. We'd be having great deep spiritual conversations. Uh, We'd be telling jokes. And other times we would be driving each other absolutely nuts uh, and even just kind of getting delirious because of no sleep and saying things that didn't make sense uh, or just not saying anything to each other for a very long time. But on one drive in particular, my friend was in the passenger seat as I was driving and he was just saying how he wanted to pray for me that I would be able to speak in tongues. If you guys have never experienced that or don't know what it is, um, just listen. Okay, so it, it sounds like you're just saying these things that don't make any sense. It's a, it sounds like a whole other language, right? And, and he's like, I just, I really want you to be able to, to speak in tongues because I want you to feel the presence of the Spirit, right? And he was trying to kind of like coerce me into it. He's like, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to put my hand on you. I'm going to pray. And then what I want you to do is I want you to just like go with it, okay? But like, just start like repeating a syllable over and over and over again so that you can loosen your tongue so then the spirit can flow through. And I was like, okay, what, what syllable do you want me to say? And he's like, just go like, and I was like, what does that mean? He's like, just, just do it, man. And I'm like, bro, that sounds like you giving me words, not the spirit giving me words. And it's not words. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm not, no, listen, if anyone speaks in tongues, fantastic, right? Like I believe in those types of things happening through the spirit, moving through the body, but there's usually a purpose to it, is my point. Uh, And in, in that situation, the purpose that he had for that was that I would feel the presence of the spirit working in my life and so our conversation continued to talk through how I felt the, the power of the presence of the Spirit working in my life by giving me patience with my family, by giving me peace when it didn't seem to make sense when there's chaos going around me, by allowing me to actually love people who have hurt me before, by, by giving me joy in circumstances that it didn't seem like they were very happy, joyful circumstances. Because this is actually the fruit of the Spirit at work in us. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Did I hit them all? Okay. Uh, this is the, the power of God's Spirit working in our lives that would actually allow us to mend relationships that were once broken, to be able to find unity with people who are so diverse from us and to be able to build a community together again of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of others. Like that's, that's the power of the spirit. And yes, sometimes he does that through seemingly miraculous and I'll be honest, seemingly weird things, right? 
Like we read last week when suddenly everybody in Acts 2 is speaking in different languages. Everybody in different languages is hearing them. Now, I've always read that and I've thought the complete opposite of like this experience, this like super crazy uh, experiential moment, right? That feels amazing. I've always read in the opposite, like it's completely practical. There's people from all over the world. They speak all different languages and they needed to hear the story of Jesus, right? However, I was sitting with another friend of mine who's, who's a pastor in the Valley as well. And he helped me realize something like, this is the same crowd Same crowds of people who made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem 50 days earlier during the Passover feast. And they were all in one language shouting, crucify him together. Because at this time, two things happened that kind of brought the world together. There were the roads that the Romans built for travel and for trade. And there was also the language of Koine Greek, the common Greek language of that day. Most people spoke either Greek or at least Aramaic. So most people would be able to communicate, even though they had other languages too, where they came from, a language that their family spoke, they would also have this common language that they would be able to do trade and commerce with. That they would be able to speak to the Roman guards who were stationed in their town with. So was it absolutely necessary for the spirit to start speaking in different languages through Jesus's followers on that day? Was it just for an experience? Or maybe God was doing something completely different. That's usually the way it works, by the way, is usually there's like people fighting over it's this or it's that, and the kingdom of God is a whole different third way that blows our minds. And, And the languages listed, most of them are these very uncommon, poor, impoverished, uh, kind of not thought of parts of the world at the time. What's happening, it seems to be, is that the spirit is going, hey, what we talked about last week when there was the Tower of Babel and all these people speaking one language were doing something to build a home for themselves and ignore God and make themselves great. And so God scatters them with different languages. It seems to be, yes, he's kind of reversing that to say, now I'm bringing those people back into unity to build a home for them with me, not separate from me. But he's doing that in such a way where he's showing this is for all the people. It was like an unnecessary miracle and yet... Yet, it was powerfully displaying what the Spirit wants to do through people who are so diverse and so unique and so scattered across the world that he's wanting to bring them together in unity, in peace, in love. And so when we think about the power of the Spirit, this is what we want to set our minds and our hearts on. The power of the Spirit is that he is trying to reconcile what has been made broken. Our relationship with the created earth, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with God. The Spirit is working to bring all this back together in harmony and in unity once again. And that's what we'll see at the end of Acts chapter 2, which we're in today. What we'll see is the outcome, the result of the Spirit doing this miraculous event of speaking and all these people hearing in different languages is that God is bringing a community together for a purpose. And so Peter goes out and he starts explaining to the crowd, hey, again, we talked about this last week. Guys, we're not, this, these people aren't drunk. 
You're not hearing them speak in different languages because they're drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Give us some time. But what's going on is God is fulfilling what he promised he would do, that he would fill his people with his spirit. He would fill his world with his spirit. And he starts going through the history of this promise that came through Jesus. And he talks about how Jesus was the true king who Israel was waiting for, but not to come and conquer Rome and establish an earthly kingdom, but instead to conquer our sin, our rebellious nature, our selfishness, and the result of that death. That Jesus went into death himself and came out on the other side with new life. And the same spirit that did that for him is now filling these people, Peter says. This Jesus who you yelled 50 days ago, crucify him, kill him, is the one who came into new life and is offering new life to you and I. And so pick up with me in verse 37 of chapter two. After hearing all this, verse 37, when they heard this, the crowd, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent, that means turn, and be baptized, that means covered, immersed. Turn away from and be covered, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3000 people were added to them. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is God's word. Father, we ask that as we hear your word, God, that you would be transforming each of us right here and now in this place. That you would be forming us together as your community, as your people that you would be filling us with your power so that the world around us would see and know that you are God and you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So typically what we love to do, uh, what I have in the past often done, is take something like the end of Acts chapter two here and go, okay, this sounds really good. And this seems to be what God wanted his people to do at the very beginning, the first church that was formed. This is how they lived. How do we do that? How do we get back to that, right? How how do we live in this way? And so we start kind of making a checklist. Okay, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, we got to have good, sound doctrine. We got to have good, solid teaching. And let's let's devote ourselves to that. And let's make sure we're in the word every day, right? Uh, And so check that off our list. Uh, To the fellowship. Okay, I got to be involved in a church. 
Like, I may not like the people, but I'm going to sit next to them on Sunday morning, and then we'll be like, all right, I'll see you next week, right? Uh, so I'll check that off my list. To the breaking of bread, I do like eating. Check that one off my list. To prayer, okay, cool. Whenever I need something, which is often, that's, I'm daily praying. Okay, check that off my list. What else is there? And, like, and we keep going through this as a checklist. What are we doing? Or what are we forgetting, rather? We're forgetting the power and the presence of God's spirit that made all this happen. We, we start trying to do it in our own strength, in our own works, in our own power, in our own understanding. And then we start fighting over, well, what does this mean? Well, this, this was very contextual back then and it looks different now. Here's what it should look like. No, I think it should look like this because we're doing it in our own strength and our own power. And what happens, we're getting divided again instead of being united as God had done. What seems to be happening here is exactly what we have been talking about at the start of this year, that we said, anything I said, we want to be a people who are formed by God together for the sake of others, right? That we want to be formed by God, that he's the one who's shaping and forming who we are as individuals and as a group, but he's bringing us together in unity too. Completely diverse people, yet unified around who Jesus is and what he's done. And not just so that we can have our nice, safe little holy huddle, right? So that we can live a good life and be approved by God and one day get into heaven, whatever that means. But so that other people would see this community as a stark contrast to what's happening around the rest of the world. That when you look at the world and all the problems going on and all the brokenness and all the drama and all the violence and all the injustice and all the fighting and all the bickering and all the political ideologies, somewhere in all of that, there's this weird, strange group of people who are living completely different, who are sharing everything that they have with one another. You can't pay rent? Let me sell what I have so we can cover your rent. Like that's the radical reforming of this group that we just heard about. Sharing what they have, caring for one another, carrying each other's burdens and inviting other people into that. Not going off and doing it on a mountain somewhere, hidden away so no one sees and so that they're safe. Here's the thing. This message they just heard was about a guy who was killed. He was murdered for his message. Jesus was murdered for what he was saying. And Peter's out there saying, hey, follow that guy. Do what he did. Live like he lived. Be filled with the same spirit of God that he came in. This is Peter, the same guy who was running away as a coward when Jesus was being killed because he didn't want to be caught up in that. But now the power of God, God's spirit is in him. So he's saying this to a crowd of people who were the ones shouting, yeah, crucify this Jesus, kill him, murder him. And suddenly, suddenly 3,000 of those people are completely radically transformed start living a whole different way of life, knowing full well that as they enter into that newness of life, that new way, that they too are at risk of being imprisoned 
or beaten or even killed. They didn't go run away and do it somewhere in their own little compound or commune. They did it in front of everybody. So all would see, so all would know, so all would be invited in to join them. And these are people from all over the world. Though they had a common language of the Greek, they came from families that all spoke different languages in their homes wore different clothes, ate different foods, had different customs. And they're suddenly being formed together as a united community. You see what's happening right here is actually very similar to what God intended at the very beginning of all things, isn't it? My wife, uh, we were just talking about, she had a friend who she went to high school with who, was actually my best man in our wedding. And so I've become tight friends with. And over the years, you know, our families have known each other and sometimes drift apart, but we always come back together. And so he came in to cultivate the other day into our coffee shop. And they were talking about how their 20-year high school reunion was missed because of COVID. It's now like 22 years, but they're, they're actually going to do it now, right? And so they're talking about, are you guys going to the reunion? Because I'm not going if you're not going. Well, I'm not going if you're not going, right? Like, I don't know anybody there. And so we were talking about that. And then the same day on Facebook, because I'm still old, I still use Facebook, and you can't really organize things on TikTok. So on Facebook, there's a Facebook group from our 10-year reunion, and someone posted in that, hey, are we doing a 20? Because I just hit, yes, I'm younger than my wife, if you put that together, do the math. Uh, So we just hit our 20-year reunion is coming up this May. And so they're like, hey, are are we actually going to do a reunion for this? And I was like, I don't ever talk to you guys, so do what you want. <laughs> but I don't, um, maybe I'll go, we'll see. So what, what's crazy about that, though, is just that little question, it suddenly struck up all these memories, right, of high school. And I started, like, looking at people's Facebook profiles, too. I'm like, oh, what are, what are they up to now, 20 years later? Man, they look so different, but they still have their hair, so I look more different. And, you know, like... But you start having all these memories that come back from what you did 20 years ago together. And then you're seeing like who they are now. And some of that coincides. You're like, oh, that makes sense. I see how that person, and some of it's like radically different too, right? But, but what it does is it kind of is like the sequel of a movie that makes you go like, oh, I see how that tied in before. Like what, what we're reading in Acts 2 should go, oh man, do you remember like thousands of years before this? what the world was supposed to be like. That at the very beginning of all things, the spirit of God was present. Present, just hovering over all of creation. God's presence was there and his power. And God creates a man, a human, out of the dust from the ground and he fills him with his spirit. He fills him with his own breath so that inside of this clay-shaped, muddy-formed thing, uh, the breath of God animates him and makes him alive, makes him a human, a living being, made to be a reflection of who God is to the rest of creation. And then God says, it's not good for this person, this human, this man, to be alone. And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to make a helper for him. I'm going to make a partner for him. I'm going to create another one like him 
but he doesn't make this other human exactly like the first one, does he? He creates a woman. They have similarities. They're actually called one, one flesh. They started as one being and God like, let me take a piece of that lump of that clay and form a new one over here, split them into two, which is just crazy, mind boggling. But he, he creates this one to be distinct and different. Just the fact that she's a woman and he's a man. That's a unique difference right there. Biologically, physiologically, completely different. But they also have their own ideas and they have their own way of seeing things. And they're able to relate to one another and to God and to the created world around them, but, but they do it through two different sets of eyes. And yet God calls them in their diversity to come back together in unity. And we've talked about this before. I I was never great at math, but I love this equation, that their diversity plus their unity is what equaled multiplication. That God called these two distinct and different beings to come together as one. And as they did, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now create more of these little reflections of God and fill the whole earth with them. And as they are doing this, they are doing it in the presence of God, as they are caring for the world he called them to, create, to care for, that he created. His presence, his spirit is hovering over all of it. The spirit of God at work in these humans who are diverse from one another, yet living in unity together and filling the world. Fast forward to Acts 2, right? There's a whole lot of stuff that happened between that. Just like there's a whole lot of stuff that happened between when I graduated high school and now. Like all my hair migrated down south on my head. I had three kids. I got married. Uh, I, I lost some jobs. I got some jobs. I've had all kinds of brokenness and pains in my life. I've lost people I love and care about. I've also had all kinds of joys and wins in life, right? So in between these times, so much has happened. But specifically what has happened, time and time again, over and over, repetitively, is that God's people continue to rebel against the presence of his spirit. They rebel against the call of the Father. They rebel against the very word and the ways that God wants them to live in. Because they feel like we can do this in our power, right? I can read Acts 2 and figure out the checklist, and we could do this. And that arrogance and that rebellion, and that selfishness of, I I don't want to share my things with other people. I want to build up my own life and make a name for myself. And I want to be comfortable, and I want to be powerful, and I want to be seen as great by other people. That happens repetitively in every human being over and over and over again throughout time. Until one comes who's way different. Until one man comes who once again like the first man, was filled with the presence and the power of God's spirit. Only this time, when he was tempted to walk away from that, he doesn't. This time, when he was tempted to go and make a name for himself, he submits, even though, even though he has all the power and all the rights of God himself, he submits himself to the Father. One human being 
who lived perfectly in unity with God, the Father, and his Spirit, and did it for the sake of other people around him. That he moved in, just like we were talking about the Spirit speaking through these small, kind of obscure languages of these poor parts of the world. Jesus moved into the poorest part of the known world at that time. And he went to those who were sick and afflicted and those who were kind of dismissed as outcasts because the powerful could come there. He came for all people, but if he just showed up to the powerful, the poor couldn't have come. Jesus goes to those in need and everyone flocks to him. He's bringing people in unity who are vastly different from one another. And now we see his same spirit filling Jesus' followers doing that same work again. Bringing people vastly different from one another with different backgrounds and pasts and experiences, different ways of life, different worldviews, seeing the world through their own eyes, trying to build up a life for themselves. And he says, no, no, let me radically transform you and form you together in unity with all your diversity still intact. Not dismissing that but bringing it together in unity around what really matters now. In unity around who Jesus is, being formed by him. And do this, live this way, relying on the spirit to do all these things so that others would see and they would be invited in. That's the story of Acts. That's our, if we have a checklist from this, the checklist is, is the spirit present? Is is the spirit of God present here in our midst? Are we recognizing when he is? Are we recognizing the work he's doing? Are we longing to see that? Are we submitting ourselves to what he wants to do? Saying, come, come, Lord, come, have your way in us. Fill this people, fill this group so that we would be united around something much different than our politics, our ideologies, our worldviews, our experiences in life, even our understanding sometimes of what's in this book. But we would be formed and united around the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. That right there. And we take all of our diversity into that and we see God do something beautiful with a community of people so that others would see and be invited in. And that's how Acts 2 ends. And God was adding to their numbers every single day. Two things in there, and then I'll I'll shut up, I promise. Two things in there. Who was adding to their numbers? It was God. It's not because they figured out the best kids programs, right? Or because they had the best music when they gathered together or because they had the best speakers or because they had a cool atmosphere or or any of those things. God was adding to their numbers. He is building his church. God was doing that and he was doing it every day because they were faithful to live every day with the presence of the spirit in them and them living that way in the presence of other people. That's our connection. That as we're called to be connected to God, we are not called to separate ourselves from the world. 
And as, as we're called to care for the world, we are not called to separate our connection with God. I was just having this conversation sort of uh, with Scott earlier. I think it was, I'm getting old and I'm forgetting who I talked to about what. I think it was with Scott. Um, <laughs> but how oftentimes like we, we give up truth and like what's real and what, what God teaches, right? It says they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, which came through the teachings of Jesus. Sometimes we abandon that for doing things to care for society, right? Justice and mercy. Uh, sometimes we do the opposite. We abandon caring for the world around us because we want to make sure we're academically getting this right in our heads. And those were never meant to be separate. They can't be separate. But in our brokenness, we try to do that so often. But God was adding to their numbers daily as they were living in his presence, being devoted to what Jesus taught and doing it in a way that cared for the community around them. Now, listen, it's really easy for me to say all that, but what does that look like? And how do we do it? Once again, we do it by begging for the spirit to be at work in us. Would you guys pray with me that God's spirit would move powerfully through his people?